Good morning. Good morning. It is great to see all of you at FBC Base St. Louis today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open those up to Genesis chapter 3. We are continuing a sermon series we just started last week called In the Beginning. Uh, and what we are looking at is the first book of the Bible. It's Genesis. If you're looking for Genesis 3, once again, just open your Bible. Uh, it should be staring right at you. Uh, and today we are moving uh, from the creation account uh, into a account called, uh, we, we commonly call the fall. Uh, and what we're going to see today, uh, I jokingly, I think I told James was after the service, that today our topic is a lot more fun to do than it is to talk about. Uh, and that topic is sin. Uh, but but I want to, uh, I told you last week and I'll repeat it now, the book of Genesis has a lot of heavy lifting in the early going and today is no different. There's going to be some heavy lifting, but uh, I want to lighten the mood before we get into the heaviness. So I want to ask, how many of us, as you're turning to Genesis 3, how many of us are parents? How many of us are parents? Parents? Great, 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 great. Uh, even if you're not a parent or, or maybe you're a grandparent and you haven't been a parent in a long time... Uh, or you, you know, you're just going to be a parent later in life. All parents have had the experience I am about to describe. Uh, do you remember when your child was a newborn and you had that that new baby glow in your home, uh, and it, you know they were just adorable? And, and yeah, you were changing diapers and you were up at three a.m., but you didn't care uh, because they were beautiful and, and looked. You know, they had your chin and, and your wife's eyes, and they were just the most beautiful thing you'd ever saw. And there was just joy and happiness, and people were throwing free stuff at you like it was going out of style, uh, and it was just this idyllic, serene, t- great time. But then something happened. Time passed. And your child got close to their second birthday. My wife and I are currently about a month away from our child's second birthday. And suddenly something happened. Things were no longer as idyllic as they were before. Things were not as serene as they were before. Suddenly, this this bundle of happiness and joy and perfection that at one time you sat it down and it just stayed in that place until you came back for it, you know, whether that was a bassinet or a blanket on the floor or whatever it was, now they're up moving around and they're up talking. And as soon as they're up moving around, every shelf on your home that's below here, all that stuff has to get moved up, Right? All the cabinets got those little locks on them, uh, and uh, they were once quiet, but now they can talk, and the first word they learned to say, of course, is no. And they tell it to you, because mostly you tell it to them. And if you say, don't get into that, what do they do? They go get into it. If you say, don't touch that, what do they do? They touch it. And so, pretty soon, you went from watching your favorite television show while cradling the baby with the bottle and just having this wonderful, serene, new parent experience to watching Frozen five times a day because it keeps them in the same spot, it keeps them quiet, and you can get something done. Am I right? Some of you maybe didn't have the Frozen part of that experience because of when you were a parent, but if you're a parent that's roughly my age, you've had that experience. Am I right? And we ask ourselves, we have that moment, What happened? When did my perfect baby become a toddler? Creation works a lot the same way. Creation works a lot the same way. Last week we looked at this perfect, serene, ideal creation. 
And then we went home Sunday, and maybe not Sunday because we have to have a break, but maybe Monday we turned on the evening news. And on the evening news, if it leads, if it bleeds, it leads. And so there was crime, there was flooding, there was ISIS, uh, there was corruption, there was scandal. Uh, there were all these terrible things on the evening news. Most of us, we can't make it through 10 minutes. And what do we always ask ourselves? How did it get this way? What happened? Today, we're going to answer the question, how it got this way. And we're going to look at what happened. But before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, we're approaching a very heavy topic today. We're approaching a sad topic today. But God, it's an, and it's an important topic because it touches literally every one of us, every one of our lives and the world that we live in. God, I pray that the truth of your word would speak, uh, that I would just get out of the way, uh, and that we would see in the story of the fall not just a great failure, but even great hope. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to read just a few verses here, and then we're going to dive into our outline together. But I want to read to you just some opening verses uh, of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the first thing we see in this passage? We see the origins of sin. We see where sin starts, how it's conceived, how it comes about, not just in all of creation, but also in our lives. And what's the first thing we see in the origins of sin? Sin comes from not trusting God's Word. It comes from not trusting God's Word. Look what happens here. Adam and Eve are in paradise. For how long? We just don't know. Five minutes, five million years. We, we, we don't know how long that part of history lasted. But look what happens the serpent, who, who is Satan here, the, that working through this snake, this serpent, comes to Eve and he says, Did God really say? Did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Did, did God forbid all of that? Eve, could you tell me, do, do, what was it exactly God said that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And it's funny, God had given a command not to eat from a particular tree. But Satan comes along and he sort of just takes it and just barely twists what God said. And says, what did God really say? That you can't eat from any tree? So he starts off with a kernel of truth and then he twists it into a lie. And by the way, Whenever temptation comes into our lives, this is almost always Satan's first tactic. It's almost always Satan's first tactic. Do you know how we know that? Because if you flipped the temptation account 
in the Gospels of Jesus, uh, when, when Satan comes and, and he, he and Jesus go one-on-one out in the desert and he's tempting Jesus, do you remember what the first thing Satan said to Jesus in the wilderness was? If you are really the Son of God, now why would he come at Jesus with that? Do you remember what happened just before it? Jesus had been baptized, and what, what had the voice said from heaven? This is my Son with whom I'm pleased. And what's the very first thing that Satan comes at Jesus with? Well, if, I mean, if God really said that, and it's taking God's Word, and just, just twisting it a little to say, can you really trust what God said? Can you be sure that God said that? Is that what God really meant? And by the way, very often in our lives today, this is how sin starts. We start off by looking at God's Word and its commands, which are holy and perfect and need nothing added to them and nothing taken from them. And what do we say? Well, that, that doesn't really apply in my situation. God, you don't know the circumstances I'm dealing with here. Yeah, I know you command me to forgive, but you don't know what this person did, so I don't think I can really trust when you say I should forgive my enemies. And, and God, I know, I know that Jesus said in Matthew 6 that if we seek first His kingdom and its righteousness, all these things, meaning our basic needs, will be added unto us. But you know, God, I'm not sure I can trust you to hold up your end of that agreement, that if I seek your righteousness, you'll just provide me with the things that I need. I don't know if I can trust that. So you know what? Maybe I need to cheat a little bit over here and cook the books a little bit over here in my business. Maybe I need to drive a little bit harder bargain. Uh, maybe I need to push the people aside at work and step on some people at work to get ahead and get the promotion and get the hire, because I need to make sure I can put food on the table, even though you've said that you will take care of our basic needs. I don't know that I can trust that. And God, I know uh, that you say, uh, for, for those of us that are called to marriage, there is a call to singleness that maybe we'll look at one day, but for those of us that are called to marriage, that, that just like you designed Eve perfectly for Adam, there's somebody out there that you have for me that would be within your will for me to marry. But God, I don't know if I can trust you to pick that person for me, and I don't know if I can trust you to do it in a time frame that fits with my schedule. So God, maybe I need to pursue this relationship with somebody who maybe isn't a Christian, and I know that, that your word says that that's not a thing, but I can save them. I can get them into church. We can make that work. Or God, I know your, your, your word says that sex should be saved for marriage, but God, I don't want to lose this relationship. And so, so maybe that applied to people back then, but it doesn't apply to us. God, you said that to people in the first century. There's no way that can apply to me 2,000 years later in modern day America. That was for them, not for us. And pretty soon, we're not trusting God's word to be the rule of law for how we live our lives. And it's not just that we don't trust, we add to it too. Look, look what happens. Part of not trusting it is, is, is changing it around. Because look what Eve says. Oh, no, we, we can eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, that tree over there. And you must not touch it. Or you will die. Two things that I want you to notice about Eve's response here. Two things. One, she adds something. If you look back in Genesis chapter 2, what you'll find is that God tells Adam, you may eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree. I'll just quote it for you real quick so you can just hear it. Uh, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Where did God say, don't touch that? Where did God say, don't touch it? He didn't. And God didn't just say, or you will die. What did God say? You will 
surely die. And surely doesn't mean just that it's, it's certain. He's saying this is good. you're going to die and it's going to be in a bad way. This is going to be a terrible kind of death that, would, that will come upon you. Something's added. Something's taken away. And by the way, do you know who that's on? Really quickly. Men, if you're a man in this room today, you're going to feel about that tall by the time we're done today. Do you know who that's on? That Eve doesn't know? It's on Adam. Because go back to Genesis 2, and Genesis 2 reveals something. God said this, or, or close to that, that verse I read a minute ago, God said that to Adam and left it to Adam to communicate it to Eve. So it was Adam, when he told it to Eve, that added, don't touch it, or, and took out, surely die. Not trusting God's Word. Not following it the way He gave it to us. And by the way, do you realize this is the, this is the, this is the first case in human history of somebody saying, well, this is, what God's, this is what this passage means to me. Instead of, what did God mean for it to say? And how do I apply that to me? Adam took it and said, well, this is what it meant to me. This is, this is kind of what God said. This is close enough to what God said. You know what, Eve? God said, not to, you know what, you know what Eve, just, just don't touch it. Just don't touch it. That'll be fine. And by not trusting God's Word, and by adding to and subtracting God's Word, Adam and Eve, and especially Adam, left the door open for sin. But it's more than just not trusting God. That's more, sin comes from more than that. Sin also comes from idolatry. Sin also comes from idolatry. And you might say, well, Stephen, I don't see, what, where's the idolatry here? I don't see it. Well, let's look at verse 5 really quick. This is what the serpent says in verse 4, and I want to I start in verse 4 because it will set up what happens in verse 5. <laughs> you will not surely die. By the way, if you want a scary thought, Satan knew what God said better than Adam and Eve knew what God said. That's a scary thought. For all our time that we spend studying the Bible, or should spend studying the Bible. But look what he says. You will not die. Now Satan's outright lying. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good, and evil. Eve, the truth is, God's holding something back. The truth is, there's something God doesn't want you to know. God's got a secret, and you're not in on it. God doesn't want you to have this. And I know you're still sitting there saying, okay, well, Stephen, I can see that Satan's clearly lying here. I get that, but, but where's the idolatry in this? I, you know, idolatry in the Old Testament, isn't that when somebody carved a stone statue and bowed down to it and worshipped it and said, this is my God? Isn't it like when the, the Israelites made a golden calf and said, this is our God? Isn't that idolatry? No. It is a form of idolatry, yes. But in the strictest sense, can I tell you what idolatry is according to the Bible? Idolatry, and I've mentioned this before, you, you guys will hear me say about the same five, six things again and again because they keep coming up in the Bible. They're themes in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Idolatry is taking anything, good or bad, and elevating it 
to God's rightful place in our lives, making it God for us. And isn't that what Satan is is tempting Eve with here? Because look what he says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Do you know what kind of idolatry is happening here? It's the idolatry of self. Do you know what word we use to, 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 for that in English? Pride. It's the idolatry of self. It's, it's Satan saying to Eve, Eve, what God doesn't want you to know is that if you take that fruit and you eat it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be equal with God then. And what he's tempting Eve to do is to take herself and put herself in God's rightful place. The very definition of idolatry. And by the way, you know what's ironic about Satan's lie there? Adam and Eve are already like God, are they not? Are they not made in His image? Were they not put above all creation by God as a way of making them His stewards of of creation? Did they not already have consciousness, which animals do not have? Did they not already have emotions, which animals do not have? Were they not relational beings just like God was? The great irony is Satan is tempting them with something that they already have. And by the way, idolatry very often tempts us with things that we already have. Yeah, I know I've already got... You know, I've already got a pretty good bank account, but, but, but the truth is, I would feel more secure. I feel like that protects me, and, and, and I need more of that to make me know that I'm secure, to make me know that I can have peace, when really, truly, the only place we can find true security and peace is God. Or, we say, I need this relationship. Maybe it's not God-honoring. Maybe it's outside the will of God. Maybe it's outside of the bounds of God's Word. But you know what? I need this to make me feel secure. I need this to make me feel loved. I need this person in my life to set the agenda for my life. And what are we doing? We're taking that relationship or that person, and what are we doing with them? When ultimately we can only find that sort of love and that sort of security and that sort of fulfillment in God. There's a great irony in idolatry. Is that we're, so often we take things that God offers and freely gives and we want to elevate them into God's place. So the origins of sin start with not trusting God's word. And then comes idolatry. But lastly, and I don't want us to miss this, is the desire to please our flesh. The desire to please our flesh. Look what happens. Now that, now that, now that the, the serpent has twisted God's word, now that he's tossed out this idea of idolatry out there, look what happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also uh, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. It was pleasing to the eye. It was good for food. What does that mean? It, was t- it would be tasty. It would be satisfying. Not only does sin appeal to our minds and to our hearts, it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our bodies. Do you think it's any wonder why Paul would describe the the battle that rages between us, between our, our, our new lives in Christ and our old lives of sin as being a war between the Spirit of God within us and our flesh? It's because Eve sees this fruit is good looking and it looks like it'd be tasty and it, it would be pleasing and it, 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 there would be a great physical pleasure from it and that makes her want it even more. And by the way, 
when we don't have that safeguard of God's Word in our life, and when we allow idolatry and we start elevating ourselves or something else into God's rightful place, inevitably and invariably, physical temptation will find us and overwhelm us. Because when intimacy is the idol of our life, and we forget that the Bible tells us to be holy as God is holy, that's when we find ourselves surfing the internet late at night by ourselves. Ladies, for you, because I know that struggle hit the men, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss one out there for you. For you, this is when our idol uh, maybe is fulfillment in being praised and being loved and being cherished. And maybe God's Word tells us that adultery is a sin, but you know what? Our husband, he's kind of cold. He's kind of distant. He's been at work a lot lately, but this old friend from high school is around, and he's still as handsome as he ever was, and he's still nice like we remember him being, and he pays attention. And without those safeguards of God's Word in our lives, and when we allow that relationship or that need for love to become an idol in our life, our flesh inevitably follows those desires to their ends. So what do we see in the origins of sin? We see the not trusting God's word. We see idolatry. And we see the desire to please our flesh. But this passage also shows us the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin. We're going to start here uh, in verse 7. And look what happens. She ate and she gives some to her husband who was with her. I'm going to say this here because it does not fit anywhere else in this particular sermon. In fact, it fits better in like 1 Timothy 4. Wait, it's three. Excuse me, three. Somebody, okay, fact check person. I, I corrected myself in the sermon. You don't have to come tell me afterwards. You're in every crowd. I know who you are, and I have my email set to block you, okay? But this doesn't fit anywhere else, but I want to make a note here. Guys, remember I told you this is not going to be a good day for you in church? You know what it means that she gave some to her husband who was with her? How many times do we picture this story happening as Eve and the serpent are off over here, or like the serpent waits and is like, oh, Adam's gone, I'm going to sneak in here like SEAL Team 6 and get the job done while he's gone. No, 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 no. Do you realize Adam is sitting here the whole time not doing anything about it? Not saying, hey, snake, that's my wife, you don't talk to her. Not saying, hey, 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 snake, what, what, what you're saying, that's not what God said. God didn't say that. Eve, we need to get out of here. No, you know what Adam's doing? He's sitting on the sidelines, watching, listening to the lies, and then when Eve picks the fruit and goes to eat it first, he's sitting there on the side going, well, you know, if she doesn't drop dead, maybe God was wrong. Is it any wonder that Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, now that I think I've got that right, Eve was deceived. What that means is Adam was never deceived. Adam knew the truth, and Adam openly chose to rebel. By the way, men in the room, shame on you if you ever make your wife responsible for the spiritual condition of your household. You know how the world got this way? The first sin happened in this world because the first man abdicated his first responsibility to protect his family from sin. That's what happened. And so if your wife is the one dragging you to church, next Sunday, reverse that and drag her to church. If your wife's the one in her Bible, you be the one in your Bible. 
And instead of leaving it up to your wife to make sure your children know who Jesus is, how about you be a man for five minutes and tell your kids about Jesus? Whoa, I'm sorry, that came out of nowhere. That wasn't in the first service, y'all. That was unscripted. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm not sorry. I'm not taking it back. Because if Adam had done what he was supposed to do, we'd all be walking around in the Garden of Eden right now instead of having to go out and vote in November and look how miserable our world is. But let's look at the consequences of Adam's stupidity real quick. Look at the consequences of sin. The first consequence is shame. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. The first consequence of sin, almost immediately, simultaneously with the act of rebellion, was shame. Shame just because they were naked and they they realized the, the, the differences in gender between the two? No, 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 it wasn't just that. Because the truth is, they had always been built differently. Men and women had always been built differently. Uh, they had always been naked. Chapter 2 tells us that. They were naked and they felt no shame. What has changed? Because sin has entered the world and more importantly entered their lives and their hearts. Adam and Eve now have something to be ashamed of. They realized they're exposed. Uh, they realize uh, that they've done something that, that, that's wrong. And this is this shame just enters their lives. And by the way, if you think of this moment, I bet you can stop and remember a time in your life when you've heard a voice in the back of your head saying, God couldn't love you because of the things you've done. God's not happy with you because of where you've been and what you've done and who you've done it with. How could God ever love you? Oh, if people really knew who you really are, they couldn't stand you. I I, I would compare this shame more to this. It's more being exposed in wrongdoing or in wrongness. How many of you, Crystal and I watched it recently because it popped up on Netflix a while back. How many of you have ever seen the movie, What Women Want? had Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt in it. It's a funny little movie about a man who... um, well, I say it's a funny movie. It's kind of actually more of a horror film because it's a man who suddenly has the ability to read every woman's mind who is around him. And the rest of the film is about his struggle to maintain his sanity. Um, that's not actually what the movie's about. But um, could you imagine the sudden shame, the horror of everyone knowing exactly what's in your mind at all times? Exactly what's in your life right now or what's in your past? That moment that you're thinking of is what Adam and Eve are experiencing. It's that same shame that we all feel. And by the way, it's because we've all sinned. None of us are free from this. We all have the illness. We all have the sickness called sin. But the only consequence isn't sin. The next consequence is religion. But Stephen, where's religion? I don't see anybody going to church or temple or or, or synagogue in this. Where, Where is that? Look at the next verse. Look at or look at the rest of verse seven, excuse me. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Well, Stephen, that doesn't seem like religion. That's just them trying to cover up the fact that they're naked, isn't it? Yeah. But can I tell you a great definition of religion? Man made effort to cover sin. In fact, that's a perfect biblical definition of religion. Man made effort to cover 
sin. And so Adam and Eve, in a panic, they run around and they're grabbing fig leaves and they're sewing them together, probably just weaving vine together, and they're trying to kind of cover their, their nakedness and their, their exposure to one another and also to God who they, who they know will be present in the garden. And it's just pathetic. And can I tell you something? What do we look like when we try to cover our sin with religion? When we try to paint over it with good deeds? When we try to cover it with good works? When we think baptism is going to just magically wash all the sin away? When we've done nothing to change our hearts? When we've never accepted Christ into our hearts and lives? Can I tell you something? Being baptized does not cover your sin. Going to church does not cover your sin. Reading your Bible does not cover your sin. Saying prayers that are not the sinner's prayer do not cover your sin. Being a good person does not cover your sin. Following the Ten Commandments does not cover your sin. In fact, the Ten Commandments do the opposite. They expose your sin. All the religion in the world does not cover up sin. Oh yeah, the outside. Yeah, from the outside, Adam and Eve were covered. But on the inside, the problem had just begun. Religion just covers sin. It doesn't doesn't take care of the problem. So we see the consequence of shame. We see the consequence of religion. Here comes what I think is probably the worst consequence. Loss of relationship to God. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. That word for sound, by the way, is a lot more like the, the English word we would use for call. I put it this way in the first service. Have you ever gone out back when the kids were playing outside, as, as if kids still played outside, and, or maybe when you were a kid and you were playing outside, and your mom would come to the back door and holler for you to come in, right? And it didn't matter if you were in the next county, you could hear mama hollering when she hollered out the back door, all right? That's kind of the idea. God's kind of calling to Adam and Eve. Where are you? And look what happens. Adam and Eve hear this. And by the way, just because sin's in our life doesn't mean that we still can't hear God calling. Because doesn't the Bible tell us that the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of men to bring them to Him? We're still His creation. We still have this God-sized hole. We still know there's this need for something. Maybe we don't know what it is and we refuse to believe it's God, but the need is still there. The hole is still there. And look what happens. And they hid from God among the trees of the garden. First off, how silly is this? God created every last square inch of the universe, knows it intimately, is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. He's everywhere, all-powerful, all-knowing, and somehow getting behind a tree is going to hide Adam and Eve from God. But don't miss the pitiful, sad nature of this moment. Adam and Eve, before this, had loved when God called to them as He was walking in the garden. They cherished that call. They ran to Him lovingly with open arms. Our Creator's here. Elohim is here. Father, our Father is here. We get to spend time with Him. We get to talk with Him. We get to have fellowship with Him. Oh, this is amazing. It was the greatest part of their existence being in relationship with God. And now because of sin, they're terrified of Him. Why? Because the fact is, even before there was sin in the world, God was holy. Y'all realize that God didn't become holy when we start became sinful, right? God was holy before. 
God was righteous before. It's just that before sin, Adam and Eve were also righteous. They were right with God. They were, they were perfect. But now sins come into the picture. And now they're terrified. Why? Because they're fallen and sinful. God is still holy and righteous. And can I tell you something about a holy and righteous God? He can't be where sin is. And sin can't be where He is. That, by the way, is why God can't just let all people into heaven. It has to be people who have believed on Jesus Christ and repented of their sins and been made righteous. Do you know why? Because if we would let, if God were to let sin into heaven, we would turn heaven into hell. Just like we've done His perfect creation. Adam and Eve are terrified. A holy God is coming. And a holy God deals with sin. Church, can I tell you something that should make you a little uncomfortable if you're not a Christian? Someday, I think sooner rather than later, judging by the way the evening news goes, someday a holy God is coming. He's coming a second time, actually. Whoa, hey, dim the lights, good effect. And when He comes, the next time, He's dealing with sin. Only this time, it's not dealing with it at the cross, taking it upon Himself so that we have a chance at mercy. No, no, no. The next time He comes, it's on us. Well, let me rephrase that. If you're a Christian and you've accepted Christ, as we got a beautiful picture of today, then it was on Jesus at the cross. But if you haven't, it's on you. And that should invoke the same terror in us that Adam and Eve felt. Because God's holy, He's righteous, and He's coming to deal with sin. But there isn't just a consequence of loss of relationship with God. There's a consequence of pain. I know, it's, I know times are dragging on, but I, I want to hit this, because if we miss all of this, we're going to miss the good part at the end, okay? Look at verse 16. Well, I, let, let, me, let, me, let me show you what happens to get us to verse 16. God comes and asks where they are. Adam answers, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And, and he, he being God, says in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This, by the way, is the first chance anyone ever has in human history to repent, to ask forgiveness. This is where Adam could just throw himself at God's feet and say, I've sinned against you, I've broken your command, help me. But look what Adam does really quickly, because this is going to get us to the rest of the consequences. Not repenting of sin leads to the rest of the consequences for the rest of human history and in our own personal lives. Look what happens. The man said, the woman you put here with me. Can I tell you the best marker of unrepentant sin, and we're going to look at this on a Sunday night in a couple weeks, the best marker of unrepentant sin is blame shifting. And by the way, look where Adam points the finger. The woman you put here with me. Do you ever notice that? Adam does point the finger at Eve. He does say the woman, she gave me the fruit and ate. But who put the woman here? You did. And by the way, we do those same things when we have unrepentant sin in our lives. We do. Well, if my business wasn't so cutthroat, I wouldn't have to act that way at work. I wouldn't have to step on people, and I wouldn't have to cheat my customers. If the world wasn't such a hard place, I wouldn't have to do that. Or, well, if, they didn't, if she didn't dress that way, I wouldn't look at her. Or, sometimes don't we point the finger at God and say, well, where were you? I had to do this because I didn't know if I could trust you. 
You didn't meet my needs, so I had to do something that was unethical. You, you put that desire in my heart. Which, by the way, creation shows us God didn't put sinful desires in our heart. We chose sinful desires over what God had put in our heart. And that leads to these consequences. Look at verse 16. The consequence of pain. To the woman, he said, he being God, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Send Eve a thank you letter when you get to heaven, ladies, if she's there. With pain you will give birth to children. But can I tell you something? As much as we focus on the the childbearing thing, in addition to the pain in childbearing, all pain that we know came into existence in this moment. Or from this moment. Let me ask you something. If you, when you were a kid, did you ever fall and skin your knee? Did you ever have that happen? Yeah. Hurt, didn't it? Imagine a world without skint knees. Or if you're an adult and you've been an adult for a while, let me ask you something, because I know this has touched your life or a family member's life or a church member's life. Imagine a world where the, world, where the word cancer doesn't exist. Imagine that pain in your back is gone. Imagine Zika is not something that we've all had to learn about the last few months. Imagine no HIV, no AIDS, no chiropractors. If you're a doctor, imagine not being needed in society. Those things are not things that God made. So many times we ask ourselves, how can God allow this to happen? Well, can I tell you something? God didn't make those things originally. Those things came about because of our choices. Do you realize that we had a world where there was no cancer, there was no pain, there was no hurt, there were no doctors? Why? Because we were all living, because Adam and Eve were living perfectly in the will of God. They chose to leave that. And that's what brought all that suffering into our world. Still think when we sin that we can use the justification, well, this only, this only, it's just me. This doesn't hurt anyone. I wonder if Adam and Eve thought that. But look what happens. It's not just the consequence of pain. It's the consequence of hardship. Look what God says to Adam in verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. Fittingly, tomorrow is Labor Day. How many of us are really happy about the fact that we don't have to get up and go to work in the morning? Anybody happy about that? Lots of you happy about not going to work tomorrow? I figured you would be. If it's hard for you to imagine a world without doctors, imagine a world without work. Imagine a world where we're not worried about the bank account. Imagine a world where we're not having to pay the bills. Uh, Imagine a world where we're not having to go fight the madness that is Walmart market for our food. Where all our needs are met. There's not a bit of toil, which, which is hard labor is what that word means in Hebrew. There's not a bit of toil to be done. There's not a drop of sweat to be uh, dropped to the ground. No, there's none of that because God is with us and He meets all of our needs. Imagine never having to go to the office on any Monday morning. Hardship entered the world because of sin. 
want, starvation, need, poverty entered our world because of sin. The rat race, which is what we would call it in America, the rat race is here, not because that's what God made us for, but because it's a consequence of sin. Hardship entered this world because of sin. And look at the last consequence in verse 19. The last consequence is death. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Death entered our world because of sin. That was the last consequence of sin. And there's two kinds of death here, really. There's spiritual death, which happened instantly with Adam and Eve because of their loss of relationship to God. Their perfection, their righteousness before God was lost. It was gone. But physical death entered our world. Now, Adam and Eve didn't drop dead immediately on the spot, but from this point forward, they bega- physically they began dying. They were constantly marching toward the moment when they would die. Which, by the way, if you think facing your mortality is a bad thing, think about Adam and Eve who had to stop and go, oh, we didn't have to do this, but now we're going to because of our decisions. This is why Paul very rightly says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Sin incurs death. And can I tell you something? This is the one consequence of sin that you may be brazen enough to say, I don't feel any shame. You may be self-centered enough to say, I don't need God. That relationship doesn't mean anything to me. You may have plenty of money and never feel hardship that we were supposed to experience. But can I tell you something? The one consequence of sin none of us escapes is death. I I listen to the Dave Ramsey show a few times a week, and it's always funny. Whenever somebody calls in and asks him about setting up a will, the one thing he always tells them is, even more important than setting up a will is just having a will, because the one thing we know about life is that none of us are getting out alive. So even if these other consequences of sin that I've laid out are something you personally don't experience on a day-to-day basis, can I tell you one that you will experience inevitably, invariably, without Any exception? It's death. And yeah, maybe it is uncomfortable to talk about and to think about, but you know what? It's coming. And guess what happens after that death? The holy God that came and found Adam and Eve and brought consequences for their sin, after we die, do you know what happens? We go stand before Him the way they stood before Him, and we face judgment the way they did. Face to face with God as He declares a judgment. Well, that's it. We'll see you guys next week, those of you that choose to return. And, uh... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You guys really want the story to end there? Man and woman kicked out of the garden, sin, death, disease, poverty, every terrible thing that we watch on the evening news in our world, no hope, nothing's ever going to change ever. Is that where the story ends? That's where it should end. It could have ended. God could have said, I gave you a shot. You blew it. Too bad. But it doesn't end there. I intentionally skipped a few verses in the middle, and and we're going to go back and read them now. Because the last thing I want us to see after the consequences of sin is the remedy for sin. This is something God says to the serpent, to Satan. 
basically. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Does that mean snakes used to have legs? I don't know. Don't ask me questions the Bible never meant to answer. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and he will or and you will strike his heel. Now, wait a minute. You're probably thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. So from Eve's offspring, someone was going to come that was going to crush the serpent's head? Well, I know the story of Cain and Abel. There isn't a lot of serpent crushing there. In fact, if you think about what Cain did, he kind of is okay with what the serpent would have him doing. And, and I know that Adam and Eve have another son named Seth later on, but there's really not even a lot told about him except that he one day had a son. So what's God talking about here? Well, you see, the whole Old Testament can be summed up in this way. Adam and Eve would have a son, and then that son would have a son, and that son would have a son, and that son would have a son, and eventually there would be a guy called Abraham. And then Abraham would have a son, who 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 would have a son, and that would go on for a while, until eventually there was a guy named David, who I'm sure you've heard of. And then after David, he would have a son, who 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 would have a son, and that would go on for another 700, 800 years, And then there would be a son named Jesus. And you see, Jesus would come as a new Adam, as a greater Adam. Paul talks about this in Romans. Okay, He uses this same analogy. And the reason he can use that analogy is because Jesus was going to face every single temptation that Adam and Eve faced. You don't believe me? Flip over to the temptation narratives in the gospel sometimes and read what Satan tempted him with. What did we see were the origins of sin? We saw that the origins of sin were first doubting God's word. And what did I say? The first thing Satan did to Jesus. If you are really God's son, did God really say that? Is what God said true? What did we also see? We saw that it was idolatry, right? was the second place that sin originated from. What, did, what else did Satan tempt Jesus with? If you will bow down and worship me, all the kingdoms of the earth will be yours. Jesus, if you just worship me, then guess what will happen for you without going to the cross? And Satan also appealed to Jesus' flesh, didn't he? Turn these stones into bread. You who have not eaten, Satan didn't say this part, but it's implied. Since you haven't eaten in 40 days, just turn these stones into bread and prove you're the Son of God. And eat and be filled. He appealed to Jesus' flesh. Every temptation Eve and Adam faced in the garden, Jesus faced. But do you know why he's the greater Adam? It's because all those temptations Satan threw at him, Jesus resisted. Jesus chose to live the life that Adam and Eve chose not to live. Jesus chose to stay perfectly in the will of God. Jesus chose to maintain His righteousness, to maintain His perfection in the face of the exact same temptations Adam and Eve faced and in the face of the exact same temptations that we face and give in to. But there was more than that. Adam and Eve faced them in a garden, in perfection, in paradise. Jesus faced them out in a desert. Adam and Eve at least had each other. Jesus faced them alone. And Jesus was greater than Adam. But Stephen, how, how does that help us? How does that help me? That's good for Jesus. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. That's why it's been up on the screen. Good job today, tech guys, following along. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife 
and he clothed them. For most of my life, I thought that this was just the Bible's way of saying God still cared about humanity even after we had sinned, which is true. He still loved humanity. That's why, by the way, that's why the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 3, is God wasn't through with us. But can I tell you what the Bible is showing us in this moment? It's showing us how the greater Adam would bring the rest of us back to God. It's showing us how Jesus was going to bring the rest of us back to God. Because let me ask you something. In order to make a garment of skin, or some of your Bibles may translate it fur, for for Adam and Eve, how was God going to do that? How did God do that? He had to sacrifice an animal's life, didn't he? He had to kill an animal to make that happen. Now, okay... If you're a PETA person, I'm sorry, I I both deer hunt and I'm about to explore this verse for its rich theological detail, okay? I'm sorry. But did the animal sin? No, the animal hadn't sinned, had it? But sin demanded that somebody shed their blood and somebody die. In order for Adam and Eve's shame and nakedness to be rightly and truly covered, to be properly covered. And in the same way, Jesus, though He was innocent, though He had not sinned, just like that animal had not sinned, for Adam and Eve's sin, He would die. For my sin, He would die. For your sin, He would die. Though He was innocent, though He Himself knew no sin, though He had resisted temptation, He would die for our sins. He would shed His blood for our sins, not just to clothe us and and cover us up on the outside, but rather to clothe us in His righteousness, in His love, to clothe us in grace, to clothe us in mercy, and to make us right with God and restore us to what God intended for us way back in the original creation before there was sin in the world. What the story of the fall shows us is, yes, it tells us about the first sin, but it also shows us the first picture of the gospel, of a holy God coming into creation, living the life we chose not to live, dying on the cross for us in our place, though He was innocent and we were guilty, taking our sins upon Himself to clothe us in His righteousness so that we can stand before God, not in judgment, but in righteousness. The first story of the first sin is the story of the first time the gospel was shown. But, Adam and Eve had to accept those clothes, didn't they? And I want to tell you today, the remedy for sin is out there. You just heard about it. The question is, what will we do with it? Will we allow Christ, the greater Adam, who resisted temptation, who died on the cross, who rose again to give us new life and make us righteous, will we respond to Him in faith and let Him clothe us in His love and His righteousness and His mercy and in His forgiveness? Or will we dwell in the sin that has cropped up in our lives and ignore the consequences that it's brought? Don't turn away today from the remedy of sin. Let's pray together.